This episode is brought to you by Blueprint Renovate Program, the program designed to create space in your firm to cultivate mindset change through what you do every day. Visit blueprinthq.com.au slash contact to start the conversation. Welcome to Conversations with Sam Dean. I'm Sam Dean and I'm excited to have you here to explore the conversations that accountants and advisors can have with their clients to cultivate business mastery. All the notes and links for the show can be found at blueprinthq.com.au slash podcast. Let's start a conversation. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the last in the series, in the Renovate series, which is a wrap-up. We're going to bring it all together. We're going to do some tips and tricks around how to keep ourselves accountable and in the next stages. Look at reporting and some visibility of numbers that we could possibly put around it. How we set the firm up for success, remembering the first three stages are really around job workflow. So how do we take the information that we got from there and use it to resource and to try to then stop and flatten out that workflow that we've been talking about. And then we're also going to talk about roles. So we're going to break down the different styles of tasks and the different styles of tasks and then what roles that we might be able to put in there and and think about going forward. So uh, let's get going um, in this wrap up. So first of all, the first thing we want to work through is how to actually set up the firm for success from the job workflow that we just worked through. So what I always suggest here is if you haven't done any resource planning before, and I'm going to make the assumption here that you haven't, but for anyone who is, who's listening, just look at some of the tips and tricks and and see how you can then adapt it to your already resource planning. So what I mean by resource planning is that because we're starting to adapt that planning mindset, we want to actually get ahead of the workflow. So As discussed right back at the beginning, one of the things that we see a pattern of in production in accounting firms that in July and August, it takes a while kind of to lift the production, mainly because the client information isn't coming in, you know, early enough. And there's no planning for that. This is based on obviously years of, you know, previous, you know, way back when we, the data wouldn't have come in because it was very manual and people had to get things ready. But these days, with digitalization, it is possible to actually get data in and maybe even complete jobs a lot earlier, particularly in July. And that we know, what I do know, and I see it all the time, if we can shift some of the jobs that get completed in September back and August back into July, this gives us a great foundation going forward. And also remember, the September quarter should be our biggest production and invoicing because it's the one that doesn't really have any public holidays, no Easter or Christmas or any of those big days. It doesn't have any lodgement dates either. So we're very clear we don't have to drop and stop stuff, obviously, except for the bus, you know, from June. But it's those clients that we might talk about that we actually do the buses for that you might be able to produce. So how do we take the information from the job flow that we've gone through and then start planning forward? So we basically go back to the debrief. And if you remember, you look at and you grab from the debrief, which hopefully you've been collating just in a very simple spreadsheet. What date did the job come in last year? What date was it finished? What's the budget for the next year coming up? What's the client's name? That's probably something 
to have as well and what would be the new start date that we would like to bring that forward. So I would specifically very much focus on jobs that were completed between July and, say, October in the first instance. And if you had started that process a little bit too late to be collating those debriefs, you know, from the period previous, just drop your lodgement listing for that time from July to September or October. You should be able to get in a good list of clients and actually get a reasonable idea of people who, who are a little bit more early-minded. Then back we go, we start thinking about this in April, May, and then we start putting together a campaign or a communication, if you like, of getting some of that information in. So here we're just trying to get in front of the clients. And what we really need to think about here is you can't send an email out saying, hey, because we want to get our workflow done in July, you know, can you get your gear in? Obviously, it's what what's in it in it for them. And some of the people, you know, quite often clients will want it done sooner. One firm that we were working with, we, we discovered they're a very super efficient firm, but we discovered that they're only on average getting one job completed. They had fairly big jobs, average of about 4,900, one job completed in July. So we decided that as a goal, we would like to get 10 jobs completed. And we thought if we did that, because they had turnaround times, this, this, as I said, this firm was super efficient. Usually their turnaround time sits at about 14 days, but it, you know, in the second half, it was blowing out and what was happening was getting in the way of tax planning and other work because um, work was being pushed into that second quarter, sorry, second half. So what they did is they just got on the phone to, to, to 15 clients and said, hey, you know, we're really trying to um, get some work early. We thought it would be beneficial for you. So you, we know that, you know, the bank already is one start and stuff. We thought if we could get it ready for July, you have the style of data that we can do. Can you um, get most of your information in early so we can get it started um, as quick as we can in July? And because of the relationship with the clients, they brought them in. So that that was one instance where it was a bit more about the firm. However, usually, you know, the communication needs to go out by email to say, hey, we want to see if we can schedule your job in July, August. Could you please start, you know, collating your information later so you can have an email series around that. You can think about that. Also, if you're starting to look, remember, we're back into proactive planning mindset, you can start looking at your resourcing as well and say, what availability do I have of staff in July, August and September? And there'd be the people to do that. So you don't want to actually set the expectation. But this is starting just to give you a bit more visibility. And what it's starting to do is also work on a starting mindset. This actually means that we start the jobs, not the client. So normally we start the job when a client sends information in. So the client actually starts the job, not us. So this is just getting us more power over our workflows as well. So just a very quick summary in that. Start collating the data. It doesn't have to be 100%. 35 to 40% will do. It's probably better on what's happening now. In April and May, sit down and have a look at what clients you usually do in that first quarter and a bit and see what ones you'll be able to bring in easily. And see, even if you go from a, even if you only increase production 10 or 20% from what was the previous year, we're looking for small improvements. We're not looking for all in here. Then that's going to have a ripple effect all the way through. But two, it's the behavior too and the mindset that we're looking at here, that planning mindset of actually planning for it. So that's setting your firm up success, taking the information that we grab from the jobs and starting to look at overall firm resourcing. 
obviously in that process what done looks like it usually takes two seasons or two rounds to get to this obviously with the collation of data you've tested the spreadsheets seeing what data that you need to collect then you might look at a practice management tool to help you with this but I've always found unfortunately Excel is probably the best for collating this style of data but I could be wrong on that but don't look at software until you've actually got the system in that you want to do it and even if you're just a small operator with one or two people Excel's fine it's just all planning and you build on the worksheet uh, sorry the work the Excel's every year the next stage of that is actually reporting so what are the measurements for success here we spent all of this time working on our processes getting the steps through how do we actually now measure success so there's a few measurements that we have obviously the one that we all love well no we all hate is um you know productivity um the reason why everyone measures it and it's one of our main ones is because it's the easiest to measure if we're using timesheets we can do it the next one from that which is even stronger again is recoverability which is your write offs etc so and then efficiency which is productivity times recoverability which gives you your efficiency so realistically if you don't use those two together to get to efficiency productivity is not not the greatest but it is one we can actually measure our workflow blueprint the productivity may or may not change because it's not a success or increasing efficiency so it's that next stage you know one of the the whole aims of this is to reduce write off and to make turnaround time quicker so leading into that turnaround times are reasonable it's still a lead um measurement which means that once you kind of measure it, it's too late to change it but it's much more effective so the idea here and you can just do this for a spreadsheet because you're capturing all that you're in and remember there's two stages of turnaround time first stage when the client information in when the job start which is first turnaround time you don't always have control over that that's why we separate it and then from job start to invoice which is the second turnaround which is where we should get the efficiency we get a lot of increase on that because of the we do have the client information in so they're really good to measure and if you're using excel they're reasonably simple to do that and anyone with basic excel skills can actually measure that so that's a good one to start off with and also if you don't do timesheets etc you you can still measure that other ones that you might want to look at going forward um which are fairly simple again you know going back to the job debrief and the the two main spreadsheets we've put in which is the budget and the job debrief one the budget is you know how many jobs are coming in on budget and so that that's fairly easy to measure as well if that's where you want to be again a lag but and turnaround time helps with that other firms are very lead they say well well how many how many jobs have had budgets and had conversations etc the one i like obviously because ultimately what this is all about is creating more space and then actually i'm um, having those conversations is the number of opportunities being done at the end again can be captured off the debrief meeting it also starts our mindset around the conversions of that so how many conversations have been had and what sort of work did we get out of it that has a two-tiered measure from a reporting going forward is obviously the success of sales which is great but the other one is what opportunities are actually our clients taking up what is it they actually want so they're good things to measure it as well but in the short term if you're not measuring anything start measuring 
something that you think will be success and the simplest one is the turnaround time one but start thinking about other things what information can you capture reasonably simply with what you've got right now and then build up later to maybe do some other stuff so the second thing that um, needs to be done on the wrap-up is roles so this is a big deal remembering that one of our big goals through renovate and through working through the workflow blueprint is to create space and time in our firms so we have more time for conversations with our clients or we just have more time. So right people doing the right roles is crucial to that as well. So even if you are just a solepreneur or a sole accountant, you need to think through this because there might be bits in the workflow blueprint that you can do yourself or if you are wanting to go to the next stage, who's my first employee or who's the most crucial person? We'll get to that in a minute. So how you actually start this is to look, go back and look at the different styles of tasks through the workflow blueprint process that we covered in one, two, and three, and obviously the spreadsheet as well. I think previously we always looked through that lenses that it's like a one, maybe two role thing. There's some administration tasks and some accounting tasks. Well, if we really break it through the blueprint, there's administration tasks such as data collection, reporting, initial client information and follow-up on outstanding information. Number two, there's processing and bookkeeping, step one and two. There's accounting, so we actually get that financial statements done and we'll put tax accounting in there as well. Reviewing, is it all accurate and up to our QA standards and all that sort of stuff. Opportunity finding towards the end. How do we go forward? What are the opportunities in making the job more efficient? Uh, and what are the opportunities um, to grow our clients? Managing. So how do we manage the whole workflow and make sure that that happens and the roles in between? And there's communication as well as a role. Communicating to our client throughout um, what's happening. And then in the last piece, communicating how we might be able to help going forward. So there's a lot of roles in there and they can all be done by different people. Obviously, most of the time you don't have different people, but if you really start thinking about that and then sit down and say, well, what would be the role, the tasks that I don't want to do anymore or I'm not the most efficient at or isn't giving me the bang for your buck, if you like. So then we start looking at the, the tasks, the different roles. So if you haven't already, client service administration roles is just that, anything to do with the client workflow done by these staff so it's contacting the ato following up making sure workflows done all of that sort of stuff all very administration tasks what's super interesting um i've seen some stats recently put out that about 60 percent of accountants senior accountants and partners time during the day is taken in document management and email management so filing how you manage your emails and also document management, which includes things like workflow preparation and stuff like that. So it's super interesting that a lot of our days, even our high-end accountants aren't doing accounting, they're doing admin. And then if you also consider, you know, just to challenge it a bit, that first step one, step two in the financial planning process is arguably administration as well. The other roles that we've introduced is workflow manager. So workflow manager is the role that, it does the numbers, so is in control and success is the turnaround time. Then the tax manager is more the QA person, so they're making sure that the quality 
of the work is right, it's in line with QA, and they're managing, they might also be managing a relationship perhaps sometimes, or you'll have a separate client relationship manager, whom sometimes a partner, sometimes not. I always know that the, whoever the client relationship manager is, is when the shit hits the fan, excuse the expression, they're the person they go to. So it might not be the tax manager or even the tax partner, but it generally is, but that. So they're the roles that we're looking at here. So there's a number of, obviously, then the normal roles of an accountant and partner as well. But what we find is accountants tend to take a lot or all of it and partners as well. So you need to start thinking about, well, those tasks that I went through earlier, the different roles that administer them. Clearly, if unless you have a big organization, you wouldn't have all those people in different roles. But we need to start thinking about what is the role I'm doing and what are the tasks associated with that. So everyone always asks, and I see this happening at what should be my first employee? What sort of person and what role should I go for? The natural assumption is an accountant, but I disagree with that. I think that administration is your first employee and it has to be a solid, it has to not be just a junior out of school or anything. It has to be someone with some really, really strong administration experience. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be with accountants. Because there's other parts and roles that we will talk about later on down the track in further podcasts around the administration of the business and stuff like that. So it could be a joint role. But I know from my own experience and working with accounting firms and many different types of businesses that if you can get a strong administration with a income producer or salesperson or everything, you can exponentially increase their capacity. Because you take away a lot of the stuff that, first of all, they're not the right people to do. It takes them too much time. They're not that efficient at it either. And when I say all of that, I say I. I can say I as well. It just opens up so much space, mind space and everything. And then that means that the the leader or the, the accountant or partner is not jumping from different roles. So if you're jumping from all of those tasks that I said all day, every day, it's exhausting. Whereas if you're focusing on one or two of those tasks and roles through the day, which is, you know, maybe client communication and the technical aspects of the job, it just frees you up and you become much more efficient and you get a lot more capacity, exponentially more capacity than that. And so this is not, this should be your first employee and it should be a well thought out stuff. And over the next few weeks, we'll be actually releasing stuff about what a a great administrator looks like and, and that sort of stuff. But that's my tip is that if you are in a stage where you think, well, I am on overwhelm, I've really established that I need to put someone else on, consider the first person to be administration and make sure they're experienced and they're good at what they do. The two or three aspects I always look for is they get things done and they got that real, okay, well, I don't really know the answer to it, we're going to find it out, and the accountability piece as well, that they have good communication skills and they can follow you up as well. So it's super important. So we've done all this work and we've gone through some reasonable change. As I said, try throughout a lot to do it in small stage steps, which is why we break it down like we do. How do we keep it going? This is the big thing because any kind of planning or any kind of anything without execution, you might as well not do the first bit. So what are the tips and tricks I can give you to keep you accountable going forward and making sure that the execution is where it needs to be? So there's a couple of tips I have through staying accountable. The first one 
is around setting your targets and sticking to them. So establish what numbers, as I said, let's go back to that reporting I was talking about, the drive success for your end of year compliance. And a good one to start with is turnaround time. But you might be able to want to think about one or two others, but at least pick one. And then you can't be self-accountable. It's not something that um, as we as humans can do. So try to have somebody checking in on you or some kind of, if you're by yourself, I mean, obviously, if you're in a team, set some accountability around the team for everybody and what their tasks are and what they're accountable to the actual strategy. And make sure you're doing that accountability piece each week, just a short, sharp meeting. Could be as simple as, you know, only going to have five jobs open and then someone checking in to say, do you only have five jobs open? And it could be as simple as that. So whatever you think needs to be drive about it, but set a target and stick to it and make you accountable to someone or something else. The next one is really a key as well is stick with your processes. So you've put all these processes in place. You've documented stuff. As I said, it doesn't have to be a man, you know, big flash thing. It's just the steps and you've got these steps stick to them. What we find happens, particularly when you're coming up to a busy period for the first time, you've put stuff in for the first time you're coming up to it and you're going, I just have too much work on it and I can't do it and, and I'm feeling uncertain. You haven't gone through the planning process that we were talking about earlier, so you still got quite an onslaught. This is where it's much more important to absolutely stick to it. Stick to, I'm not going to start this job until that one's finished, no matter what. I'm not going to start a job or or give a job to my graduate accountant or whoever because they don't have anything to do when it's only got 50% in. We just know that that blows out. Either find them something else to do or do it. Just stick to your processes at this time. And then, then once you get through and they hold. So tips and tricks, set your target, stick to your processes. Then on top of that, constantly check in with them. Remember, this is something new, so you have to constantly, constantly keep checking in where it can be improved, what can it be do. So there's lots of triggers and prompts in there. Obviously, with the budget, you're always questioning how to do every job different. Same with the debrief. There are prompts on this as well from a job point of view, but then I would definitely be sitting down with team every month at least, and I know that this works. We call it, we call these um, insight or checker meetings and we're really checking in what's been working really well we're reviewing what's not so what we think the breaks are and all team has to bring this sort of stuff checking back to numbers as i said before and then we're checking we're setting what we're going to do next month so you might be you know wanting to review processes in small bits so setting small steps again probably a 15 to 20 minute checkup if you're small and don't have a big team but it's a constant check-in have a very set agenda and go through it, and but make sure you concentrate on the successes as well as the failures, and then that could also then go into your underlying accountability piece. Okay, so we're done. We're through the workflow blueprint, which is hopefully you're seeing some benefits to your everyday, and this is important. Again, remember, though, it's small, consistent steps that will give you the greatest change. So don't do everything at once, step it through. If you try to get everything in place at once, you'll go on to overwhelm and there'll be too much to concentrate on. Get one habit in, get the next. 
you know, pick your points. I always suggest going one, two, three, four, but pick your points. Small, consistent steps. Rome was not built in a day and change is not built in a day. But I know from personal experience, if you change small things all the time, um, consistently, it is way more efficient and better and, and you don't give up because it's not that. We just need to find that 5 or 10% change in what we do every day will give us great results. So as usual, I thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Our time is so valuable and I am so grateful to be able to share some of yours. Again, love to be um, talk to you about this and see how you're going with it and maybe talk about the next stages as well. So drop us a line, sam at blueprint.com.au or check us out on our site or on LinkedIn and Instagram. And then, yeah, we would love to have a chat with you about this as well. Obviously, the 30 hours, that would be fun talking to me for 30 hours, wouldn't it? Our 30-minute chats are always good fun and super beneficial. So please sign up for one of those as well. So as usual, be brave and continue the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. To check out more information on all things Sandine and Blueprint, go to the website blueprinthq.com.au and remember, continue the conversation and be brave. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh